Hello and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Bernie, and folks, we have passed the one-month mark of the Donald Trump presidency. What a nightmare it has been. Every week, I bring you the weirdest and the worst that this White House has to offer. Why do I do it? Because this is not normal. Every week, I also go into depth into one issue with an interview with an expert. This week, I'll be talking with Sarah McBride. She's the first transgender person to speak at a national political convention. And I'll be talking to her about Trump rescinding the Obama administration's guidelines to protect transgender students. But this week, I want to start out with a Trump tweet. Listen. The so-called angry crowds and home districts of some Republicans are actually, in numerous cases, planned out by liberal activists. Sad. If you're new to the podcast, that's Isabel. She's our Trump tweet correspondent. And what Trump said there has been the GOP line on the massive protests at congressional town halls. And of course, what Trump says is deceptive, if not flat out wrong. Look, the people at these protests, they're not out-of-towners being bussed in. They're not being paid by George Soros. These are constituents who are furious at the possibility of their health care being taken from them. You know, every time I tweet about the possibility of the ACA being taken away, the Affordable Care Act, I hear stories from people who are genuinely terrified of the possibility. People who are sick, who have serious pre-existing conditions, who got their Medicaid from the Affordable Care Act, who believe honestly that without that law, they or one of their family members would be dead right now. But, you know, this isn't about health care. This is about Trump's dishonesty. And what he said in that tweet reminded me of something that he said last week at that crazy press conference he, he gave. We talked about it last week in the, in the podcast. Listen in to, to what he said. You said today that you had the biggest electoral margin since Ronald Reagan with 304 or 306 electoral votes. In fact, President Obama got 365 and two. Well, I'm talking about Republican. The pre yeah. President uh, Obama, 332, yeah. and George H.W. Bush, 426, when he won as president. So why should Americans trust well, you? Well, no, I was, told, I was getting that information. I was just getting We had a very, very big margin. I guess my question is why should Americans trust you when you accuse? The information they receive of being fake when you're providing information. Well, I, know. I was given that information. So what Trump did was he said something demonstrably untrue. He says that he had the biggest electoral college win since Reagan. Uh, and he's that's wrong. He says, oh, no, 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 I just meant Republicans. But that's not true either because George Bush had a bigger win than him, George H.W. Bush. Well, it was the information that I was given. Okay, so... Who gave you that information? And has this person been disciplined for giving false information to the president of the United States? Most important, has Trump considered that maybe some of the other sources that are giving him information are giving him wrong information? Sources like Fox News, which he watches constantly. Sources like Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller, his closest aides who are you know, these ideologues who will say literally anything to advance their agenda. Even, you know, conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones from InfoWars. Remember, Trump is the guy who doesn't trust the media. He doesn't trust his own intelligence agencies. At what point does he realize he is getting some very bad information? You know, what point does he realize that his judgment on what is true and false is not very good? And I know what you're thinking. Never, Jesse. He 
he'll never realize those things. And you're you're right. Sorry. I want to drill down a little bit on Trump's criticism of the media and and talk about how dangerous it is. I mentioned Alex Jones before. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's like the absolute extreme of conspiracy theorists. He just doesn't believe anything if it's true. He thinks that September 11th was an inside job. He thinks the Sandy Hook shooting, which left 20 small children dead, was faked. And he doesn't drink fluoridated water because he believes this. I don't like him putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. He's also advising our president. Uh, the New York Times wrote on February 19th that Jones, and I quote, is apparently taking on a new role as an occasional information source and validator for the president of the United States, with whom, Mr. Jones says, he sometimes speaks on the phone. And a link to that story, and of course, all the stories I talk about in the podcast are on the website. That's thetrumpscorecard.org. And uh, the story went on to point out things that Trump had said that echoed things Jones has said, like, for example, the media not reporting terrorist attacks, which was disproven, and millions of undocumented immigrants voted for Hillary Clinton. Ridiculous. Uh, Trump once denied that there was a drought in California. I think some farmers would disagree with that. These are all things that Alex Jones said. And the story also pointed out something that that Jones said that sounded a lot like something Trump tweeted. Here's what Trump tweeted on February 17th. The fake news media failing New York Times, CNN, NBC News, and many more is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. Sick. Actually, that was his uh, first draft of the tweet. He deleted that, and then 16 minutes later... He tweeted out this version. The fake news media failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, and CNN is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. What he did was he took out the word sick, which gave him a little more room to add a few more news organizations. But in both versions, he, he said that the press was, quote, the enemy of the American people. And Jones talks like that, too. The reason he talks like that is because he sells lies for a living. That's how he makes his money. I actually just went to his website, and the first two ads I saw were for things called Super Male Vitality and Brain Force Plus. I can pretty much guess those don't do what they say they do. Uh, You know, he sells lies, and so does the president. And to sell those lies, he has to call the press the enemy of the American people. And so here's the question I'm left with. How long is it until he decides the press is an enemy he needs to take action against? And what is he willing to do to journalists? Will he shut down their outlets? Will he arrest them? Something worse? And I know, like, it it sounds paranoid, right? It sounds like a dystopian novel, but... Don't forget, stuff like that happens on this planet every single day. And if there's one thing we know about Trump, it's, well, that's that, that he grabs women by the pussy. But if there are two things we know about Donald Trump, it's the the pussy grabbing thing and that he doesn't care about democratic norms. 
You know, that's why I say this every week at the beginning and end of the podcast. This is not normal. And I don't want that to become, you know, a phrase that just kind of runs over you. It really matters. This is not normal, what we're living through. And anything can happen. I don't know if Donald Trump actually believes millions of undocumented immigrants voted for Clinton, but either way, he is going full steam ahead with a deportation force. First, the Associated Press reported this draft memo from the Department of Homeland Security that would create a deportation force out of 100,000 National Guard troops. Now, the administration immediately denied that the memo existed. And then the Associated Press published the memo. So they denied that it was anything anyone had taken seriously. And I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Either way, eventually, there was an official memo from DHS signed by Secretary Kelly. And my friend Dara Lynn wrote a good explainer of this memo uh, uh, in Vox on February 21st. She wrote, Kelly's memos direct immigration and customs enforcement agents to treat most unauthorized immigrants currently in the U.S. as priorities for deportation. They direct the government to dramatically increase its capacity to detain immigrants and dictate that it should detain nearly all immigrants caught near the U.S. border. They instruct ICE to work aggressively to deputize local law enforcement agents to arrest unauthorized immigrants. And they make it much easier to deport children who come to the U.S. alone to reunite with their parents and the parents they're reuniting with. So there's no National Guard, but they're going to aggressively deputize local law enforcement. That means the deportation force is real. And as Gabe Ortiz said in our interview in last week's episode, you know, ICE is stepping up this enforcement in a major, major way. That means more of these deportations are going to happen. And as that happens, we're going to see uglier and uglier stories, like this one from The Hill on February 22nd. An undocumented immigrant diagnosed with a brain tumor while in ICE custody was returned to a detention center from a Texas hospital, her lawyer said. The woman, a Salvadoran national identified only as Sarah, was released from Hugley Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, and taken to Prairie Land Detention Center against her will, according to her lawyers. She told us that they tied her hands and ankles in her condition, Melissa Zuniga, a member of Sarah's legal team, told The Hill. She's complaining of a lot of pain. And even if these raids don't involve the National Guard, here's how Trump sees them. You see what's happening at the border. All of a sudden, for the first time, we're getting gang members out. We're getting drug lords out. We're getting really bad dudes out of this country and at a rate that nobody's ever seen before. And they're the bad ones. And it's a military operation. Obviously, that bad dudes line is untrue. We've already seen taxpaying, law-abiding mothers of American citizens kicked out. Now a woman with a brain tumor was taken from the hospital against her will. And Trump says it's a military operation. Even if it doesn't involve the National Guard, that means he's going to use every weapon in his arsenal to do this. Anything he can do, he's going to do to deport undocumented immigrants. You know what that means? That means people are going to die. Okay, I'm going to need you to sit down. I don't want you to get overexcited. Um, I'm going to be taking you 
on a magical roller coaster ride. So please, please try to remain calm. We are going to be talking about the budget. I know it is so exciting. And the good news is we'll be talking about it a lot in the coming weeks because this is the time of year that the White House puts out its budget. And we're already seeing some leaks from Trump's draft budget, like this one from the New York Times uh, on February 17th. The White House Budget Office has drafted a hit list of programs that President Trump could eliminate to trim domestic spending, including long-standing conservative targets like the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, they fund NPR, the Legal Services Corporation, they help poor people uh, who have legal who need legal services, AmeriCorps, that's volunteers, and the National Endowments for the Arts and the Humanities. The the thing you have to understand about these programs is they, they take up almost no money. Just as an example, uh, the 2016 budget for the National Endowment for the Arts was $148 million. And look, that sounds like a lot of money, right? Like it's a nice chunk of change. Uh, I would love it if someone would give me $148 million. And if any listeners out there would like to give me $148 million or even $48, please get in touch. I would love that very much. But when you do the math, That's about 46 cents for every American for the entire year for the government to promote arts. And getting rid of that, it's not going to make even a tiny dent in our deficit. Uh, Just to to compare that, uh, the Department of Defense budget for 2016 was $521 billion. So that's not four times the NEA budget. That's 4,000 times the NEA budget. And, uh, you know, of course, defense costs more than we spend supporting the arts. Of course it does. But it gives you an idea of how little these these programs affect the budget. You know, you compare them to other other big ticket items like Social Security and Medicare, the interest on the debt. It, it's, it's nothing. And so these cuts, they're not about saving money. They're ideological. They're about suppressing things that conservatives don't like. And while we're talking about the budget, which you love... Uh, This is the Wall Street Journal, also on February 17th. The Trump administration has drafted preliminary economic growth forecasts in its federal budget planning that rely on assumptions that are far rosier than projections made by independent agencies and most private forecasters, according to several people familiar with the discussions. So for those of you not familiar with economics, uh, uh, let me translate for you. Uh, In layman's terms, they're lying. Uh, Republicans always, always do this. They claim that tax cuts will magically produce enormous growth and they'll make up all the money that they lost because of this enormous growth. And if, like me, you're old enough to have lived through the Bush years and the two big tax cuts that they passed, you know this doesn't work out. It never works out. Whew. All that budget talk was fun, right? Maybe a little too much fun? Let's um, let's bring it down a notch. Talk about private prisons. Folks, private prisons suck. And I know all prisons suck, that's kind of the point, but private prisons really suck. Squeezing a profit out of what is clearly a, a, a public service uh, makes private prisons worse in every way. You know, they treat prisoners less humanely, uh, they give them worse food, worse health care. They crowd them more. 
guards are, are paid less, have, have less benefits, they're usually not as well trained, and they're put in less safe conditions. It's not a coincidence that these guards are, are rarely unionized. And, and that's why Obama decided to stop using private prisons. But as Reuters reported on February 23rd, the U.S. Justice Department has reversed an order by the Obama administration to phase out the use of private contractors to run federal prisons. In a memo made public on Thursday, Attorney General Jeff Sessions said the Obama policy impaired the government's ability to meet the future needs of the federal prison system, which is just not true. Jeff Sessions is terrible. He does not care that the people in our prisons are actual human beings. And he also doesn't care that treating them better reduces recidivism, which, you know, makes all of us safer. And look, Sessions is just getting started. He is going to leave a wide path of destruction across all of our civil liberties. He, he's going to make our country worse every way that he can. That's a bad dude. Time again for quick hits. Quick, quick hits. hits. Do you remember when they put Steve Bannon on the National Security Council Principals Committee and they took off the Director of National Intelligence and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? It turns out that second part was really just the incompetence that we've come to expect from the barrel of monkeys who are currently running our government. This is from the New York Times on February 22nd. Mr. Trump's team did not intend to reduce the role of the intelligence director or Joint Chiefs chairman, officials said. In creating their organization order, the officials said, Mr. Trump's aides essentially cut and pasted language from Mr. Bush's organization chart, that's George W. Bush, substituting the national intelligence director for the CIA director, who back then was the head of the nation's spy agencies. What Mr. Trump te- what Mr. Trump's team did not realize, officials said, was that Mr. Obama's organization chart made those two positions full members of the committee. That's right. They rearranged the National Security Council with a cut and paste job. They have this zeal to just undo everything Obama has ever done without any consideration for consequences. And in this case, it made them look like idiots. I want to play a clip of Donald Trump being asked about a recent rash of anti-Semitic threats. Uh, Anti-Semitism is likewise, it's just terrible. And you don't know where it's coming from, but I certainly hope they catch the people. I think you maybe uh, have had it for longer than people think, and maybe it gets brought up a little bit more. But I will tell you that uh, anti-Semitism is horrible, and it's going to stop, and it has to stop. This really bothered me, and it's not just because he was so inarticulate about this issue, uh, and it's such a contrast to the way that President Obama spoke with you know, a lot of feeling about things like this. It's the line that he said. He says, it's going to stop. And it's not going to stop. He's not going to end anti-Semitism. It's one of those issues where it's really clear he doesn't understand the problem, and he has zero idea what to do about it. Hey, pot's fun, right? Not that I've ever smoked marijuana. Well, fun's over, kids. This is from CNN on February 23rd. 
The White House said Thursday it expects law enforcement agents to enforce federal marijuana laws when they come into conflict with states where recreational use of the drug is permitted. I do believe you will see greater enforcement of it, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said, regarding federal drug laws, which still list marijuana as an illegal substance. That's a reversal from the Obama administration's stance, which laid out in an official memo that the federal government wouldn't interfere in states where non-medical use of marijuana is allowed. Remember a few minutes ago when we were talking about private prisons? They are going to make a killing from this. It's crazy, right? We know by now that marijuana is not seriously harmful, certainly nothing like alcohol or tobacco. You know, we've created this criminal industry for no reason at all. And now we were starting to move in the right direction, and now we're moving right back. And, you know, plus I've heard pot's pretty fun. Trump rolled back protections for transgender students this week. And to get the details, I'm going to speak to someone in a few moments who knows a lot more about this. But there's something I want you to keep in mind here. Trump is targeting children, and not just children, but the most vulnerable children. The ones who are the most bullied, the most ostracized, the ones who are the most likely to commit suicide. That's who Trump is targeting. You know, in this this rollback, it doesn't save any money. It doesn't preserve anyone's religious rights. It just hurts children. So I talked to Sarah McBride, she's the National Press Secretary of the Human Rights Campaign, about what this action says to transgender students. Because of this action, the executive branch will not stand up for them. And that's, that's, a, that's a, a disheartening statement. It is a disgraceful action. And I think it's something that history is going to look back upon. And just as we have with every other discriminatory act um, in our history, We will look back on it with regret and with shame. Sarah herself is a transgender woman. Uh, You might remember her from the 2016 Democratic National Convention. She was actually the first transgender person to speak at a national convention. She came out as transgender in college. And I asked her what kind of difference these guidelines would have made for her back when she came out. Had something like this existed, had this guidance existed, had other policies that have been implemented over the last several years existed, I would have known the world that I was stepping into. And I would have been more comfortable and confident stepping out into that world. And that may have meant that I would have been able to live my life fully earlier. But let's take a step back. What did these guidelines that Trump is rescinding actually do? The guidelines that were issued by the Obama administration in May of last year were uh, just that. They were guidelines. They were guidance to schools across this country about how to treat transgender students with dignity, fairness, and uh, in the opinion of the Department of Justice and Education in accordance with federal law. In other words, treating a transgender student in accordance with their gender identity, it means calling a trans student by their name and by their pronouns not allowing a faculty member or an administrator who maybe uh, has certain positions on transgender equality to disrespect a transgender student who's merely trying to go about their day, go to school, learn, have fun, and, and, and go home. 
And of course, most famously, this would allow students to access facilities and programs that are appropriate to their gender. Boys could play boys sports, girls could play girls sports, and this includes bathrooms. And yes, bathrooms are an incredibly, incredibly important issue for transgender students. If a transgender student can't access a restroom consistent with their gender identity, it becomes much harder to go to school. And it's and, and sort of the best case scenario is that even if an accommodation is made, uh, if they're denied access to restrooms that their peers use, it otherizes that student. It, it singles them out for bullying, it singles them out for mistreatment, uh, and it communicates something really, uh, really profound to that student and, um, and to students uh, across the school, which is that um, they are to be treated differently. Treating transgender students differently sends a powerful message to them. And remember, these are children we're talking about here, the very people the government is supposed to protect. The message Donald Trump sends to students, um, transgender students in particular, um, is that their federal government won't have their back. Um, He is emboldening bullies. He is emboldening and sanctioning discrimination, including North Carolina's HB2 uh, style discrimination. But I want to go back to Sarah's story, because she knows better than anyone what it means to take away these guidelines. I I, um, lost my husband to cancer two and a half years ago. Um, He was a transgender man. And I met him fighting for equality. We fell in love. Um, He was diagnosed with cancer. And then after initially getting a clean bill of health, his cancer returned. It had spread, and, and for him it was terminal. So Andy was his name. We got married, and four days after our wedding, he eventually passed away to cancer. And I think for me, what what that experience demonstrated is that change can fast enough, that every day matters when it comes to building a world where every single person can live their life to the fullest. Andy was supposed to have three quarters of his life as his authentic self. He came out at, at a relatively early age in college. And because of circumstances out of his control, he had even less time than that. And so looking back, I can't help but think, what if his college had been even more inclusive? What if, what if his school had been even more inclusive? Would he have, able, have been able to come out earlier? Would he have been able to live his life more fully at a younger age? And that's what this fight is about. She's also seen how many people are ready to take on this fight. Whatever statement Donald Trump is, is sending, there are millions of us who are standing up to send the opposite statement. Send a statement to these transgender young people that they are matter, that they, that, that they matter, that they are seen, uh, and that we are going to fight with them to build a world where no student has to wake up in the morning fearful of bullying, discrimination, or harassment during the school day ahead. Um, and, and I think that that is a, a, a powerful response. We are already seeing the outpouring of opposition to this type of action. We are already seeing people from advocates to everyday allies standing up and speaking out. Finally, I asked Sarah what she would say to the parents who are worried about transgender students in their kids' schools. Ensuring that transgender students are treated with dignity, respect, and fairness throughout the school day does not infringe on anyone's rights. Inclusive policies have existed in cities, school districts, and states across this country, and in some cases, for decades. And there has been no instance of any kind of increase in public safety incidences because of inclusive policies. All that has happened is that transgender people 
are able to go throughout their day without fear of discrimination or without fear of harassment or violence or bullying. And and so I would just say to to any parent that if this was your child, if your child came to you and said, I'm transgender, what would you do? What would you say? What would your heart want? I think most parents, all they want is their child to be happy, healthy, safe, and fulfilled. And the best way, really the only way to do that for transgender young people is to treat them like their peers, to not single them out for differential treatment, to not single them out for bullying, to allow them to flourish and to live and to learn openly. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I always like to end on a fun note. Uh, This week, Trump went to the National Museum for African American History and Culture, and of course he brought along with him his two black friends, uh, Ben Carson and Amorosa. They're literally the only black people he knows, except those weird cult members who hold up the Blacks for Trump signs at every rally he holds. Seriously, uh, the next time you see those guys, go to the website on the signs. It is really messed up. Uh, He also went with Alveda King, who is the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., and like the one member of the King family who is reliably right-wing. Anyway, at the museum, uh, this is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on February 21st. Later, they came upon a set of shackles that were used to restrain children. That is really bad, King quoted the president as saying. That is really bad. You're faced with shackles used to restrain child slaves. And the best you can manage is, that is really bad. This is the president, our president, the president of the United States. You you have to laugh because if you don't laugh at things like this, then the panic will start to creep in. So you got to laugh. That brings us to the end of another just awful week living under President Donald Trump. I want to thank Sarah McBride for talking with me about Trump's disgusting attacks on transgender children. Don't forget, uh, links to all the stories I talk about are on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. I also started a Facebook page, finally, and it would be an enormous help if you would go and like the page. It's at facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard. I'll occasionally post some other cool stuff there. Like right now, there's a bonus clip from my interview with Sarah that didn't make it into the podcast. So check that out, facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard. Uh, I really do want to hear from you with stories that you think I should cover and ideas to make the podcast better. Uh, My email is thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com, and you can always reach me on Twitter at jessieburney. Please, please rate and review the the podcast on iTunes. It does make a a big difference. And thank you so much for listening. The so-called angry... The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal. (laughs) 